Prince, will you say hello? Say hello to the podcast. show you mine if you show me yours. Welcome to Future Perfect, the Emerging Writers Festival podcast. I'm Izzy Robertsaw, the Artistic Director. We're super stoked to say that we've just launched the program for the Digital Writers Festival. Our online first festival is accessible anywhere, anytime, by anyone with an internet connection. And I guess that means you if you're listening to this podcast. So mark down the 24th of October until the 3rd of November in your diary and find out what to expect at the fest by heading to digitalwritersfestival.com. This special episode is a wave from across time and space, featuring a range of selected Digital Writers Festival artists who've sent through an audio postcard from a place that's meaningful to them and their work. South Island of Aotearoa, New Zealand. I was born in a township that is known as the gateway to the Mackenzie country, and the Mackenzie country is my heart place, my touchstone. The spectacular blue and white Alps that run the length of New Zealand are the backdrop to this area. Aoraki, which translates to cloud piercer, or Mount Cook, New Zealand's highest mountain, towers here over his brothers. In Māori legend, Aoraki is one of the sons of Rakanui, the Sky Father. Aoraki and two of his brothers became stranded and turned to ice when his waka, or canoe, rose out of Lake Pukaki in a storm. But it is Papatuanuku, the Earth Mother, that I love, the curves upon curves of this place. The hills are gold and matagari green and purple in the distance before rising up to the mountains. They're carved by old glaciers and home to tussocks, heather and many alpine species that are endemic to this area. How does this influence my writing? One of the important roles of a writer, I think, is to be an activist, to try and open your own eyes as well as the readers to see the world as it is in our times. And in recent years, I've watched the landscape I grew up in become threatened by corporate dairy farming. Big irrigators have turned part of the tussock land to the Mackenzie Basin to green feed for cows. Not only is this irreversible, it is irresponsible as the basin is the most unsuitable land for dairying in the world. Nitrogen produced by dairying washes straight through the plain into the groundwater. However, this roughshod treatment of our environment, even to our own detriment, is part of a long history of abuse. I've captured some of the colonial mistreatment of the Mackenzie country in a poem called Recipe for a Unitary State, which I'll read for you now. It was first published in Manifesto Aotearoa, 101 Political Poems. 
which is a wonderful book of contemporary and revolutionary poems put out this year by Otago University Press for election year in New Zealand. Recipe for a Unitary State Take those purple hills, lumpy with glacial form, strewn with ancient herb and kettle lake. Add merino for a living, some rabbit and stoats for sport. Let stoat prey and rabbit proliferate. Introduce Khaleesi, a beneficial virus, sure to choke off the excess flavour of rabbit. By now the herbs will have reduced to heracium and dust. Pour in a cow or two, along with most of the braided river. It will reinvigorate the capital gain. Don't mind the extra nutrients in the runoff. What you lose in black stilt, you'll gain in the creaming. You know it's done when it has reached a smooth, grassy consistency with no hint of all that vexing tussock. Thank you. I hope you get the opportunity to see New Zealand's high country and be wowed by this fragile and beautiful environment as I am every time. criticism and creative nonfiction from my home base in Adelaide. This year at Digital Writers Festival, I'm co-presenting a live editing event with my favourite murderino and editor, Cosima McGrath. The place I've chosen is my house, which is in Adelaide's western suburbs in a sort of semi-industrial area. Uh, it's close to Bunnings Mile End and Café de Villiers and Bounce Indoor Trampoline Park, in case you want to triangulate my location based on the closest cultural icons. Specifically, I want to tell you about my lounge room, and that's partly because I'm a total homebody who usually resents having to go anywhere or do anything that is not on my couch. But it's also because working from home gets a really bad rap, and I find working from home to be really productive and I enjoy it. I get way more done here than I do at my office. At the risk of sounding like a realtor, my lounge room is quite a big, bright, airy space with white walls and floorboards, a big green shag pile rug in the middle of the room, uh, an old fireplace that's been closed over and has had a really 60s brown gas heater installed uh, and along the north wall there are four big windows that let in heaps of natural light. Um, I sit under the windows to write most days on a little brown velvet couch that my cat has done his absolute best to destroy. Prince? Will you say hello? Say hello to the podcast. 
Right now, Prince is sitting next to me on the couch and on the other side of him is my record player, which used to belong to my grandparents. So I have a quite a sentimental attachment to that piece. I also have all my records and my DVDs and my magazines in here. Um, most of them are put away quite neatly, but some of them are kind of strewn around the room. Um, and for anyone who's thinking, this bitch doesn't read books, my books are all in my bedroom. So working from home, I have to be quite disciplined with my time in terms of when I start my work day and when I finish. Sometimes I work with a Pomodoro timer and I do 25 minutes on, five minutes off, and then I have a break at lunch. Um, but you know, during the day you can kind of lose track of time. But every day at 10.30, 12.30 and 3.30, uh, there's a lady who lives a couple of houses down uh, who walks around the neighbourhood and scream sneezes in the most overly exaggerated theatrical bizarre way you can imagine. I'm going to try and imitate what the scream sneezing lady sounds like. And when I hear her scream sneeze, I remember, oh, it must be time for lunch or time to make another instant coffee. So uh, I quite like that little quirk about working from home. My lounge room relates to my practice logistically in that this is the space where I get most of my work done. But I'm also starting a new project soon about animals, anthropomorphism and pop culture. My lounge room has my cat and my plants, my DVDs, all my little trinkets and all of that sentimental stuff probably informs my writing more than anything else it's the safety and the security of being at home that puts me in an, a really good headspace for writing deep critical long-form stuff chatting with you today from Perth, WA. Um, this year I'm doing some poetry with DWF and the theme I was asked to write for is Manifest, talking about um, the future, talking about what sort of things I'd like to take from my dreams and make a concrete reality. Um, and as for this podcast, we're talking about postcards from places that are significant to us. And I wanted to sort of tie these two places together and tell you about a place that's really, really, really special to me, like so, so special that it, it, it sort of changed my life. The only catch is um, that it's not exactly a real place. And if I was to try and explain, um, maybe close your eyes and think about a penguin. So think of the image, um, and in your head you can sort of see its stubby little wings, its floppy feet. You can even sort of see how it moves. Now, if you were to try and figure out where that image is, um, some people might call it your third eye. Maybe it's just floating in your head. Um, all it is is your imagination. But I think we really underestimate how powerful our ability to do this is. See, wherever this place is, we can create anything. And if you can think about it, it exists in that place 
right next to the penguin. And the thing about writers is that we all have a really close relationship with this place because you kind of need to as a creative. But sometimes visiting this place without any preconceptions of what we may find shows us uh, another world that could guide us in the real one. So that's the segue for my version of this place that I wanted to talk about, and I call it the pond. And I had a friend take me through how to get there when I was in a rough uh, place at the time. And he told me everything that I just shared with you, and he also told me to just um, close my eyes and report everything that I see. So I sort of woke up in my mind in the middle of this really turbulent ocean and there was uh, a massive storm with a huge swell knocking me around, lightning, thunder, dark clouds, heavy rain, um, and I could barely keep my head above the water. I was just like gasping in huge, huge um, gulps of air as I bobbed around. And my friend, he was like, man, what are you doing? This isn't reality. You don't actually have to breathe in your imagination if you don't want to. And he was right. We don't have to do absolutely anything in this place, only what we choose to do. And that's why this place is so special to me, because uh, what would you do in a world where you didn't have to do anything? What would you choose to do if you knew that you could create absolutely anything? So at this realisation, I began to sort of sink down into the water as it became more and more calm, and I sort of uh, settled at the sandy bottom. And I won't lie, the water was uh, sort of murky, but I could just make out the shapes and shadows of all of my experiences. Like, um, to the left was the time that I performed my first slam poem, and I could see how nervous I was. Or to the uh, to my right, there was like a girlfriend from when I was 14 breaking my heart or breaking up with me. And But the things that were closest to me was everything that I was going through at the time. And as I waded in the water, um, I was just sort of making it more murky. But at this point, my friend back in reality told me to look out for some friends. He said that there's always someone or something in this place that wants to help you. And I saw these two lights moving towards me. They were these really bright lanterns, and they were held by two of the most beautiful golden mermen I had ever seen in my life. And at this point, I couldn't help but smile because this was getting pretty ridiculous. But... I went with it because it was like a story that my own brain was telling me uh, with me as the protagonist, and that is just not a book that you can close. Anyway, um, these two mermen were uh, playfully circling me with their lanterns, and they told me that they'd been excited and and waiting for me to come here because they have a great deal to show me. And they shone their lanterns on, on different experiences that I've had in my life, and they told me that these have all led to some sort of greater knowledge or growth. And that, that's what I'm swimming in. I'm swimming in knowledge, and that's why I've come here. I've come here for answers. At that time of my life, I had a lot of questions, uh, like who I was, what I was meant to do in life, what I was meant to achieve. And they told me that we all have something special to give to this world, and that's pretty much what life is about, finding out what that special thing is and letting it out into the world and changing the lives of others for the better. And they told me that, for me, it was to be a storyteller. And that the reason I'd been through what I'd been through in life, firstly, was because I was strong enough to do it. But most of all, it gave me knowledge in my experiences that I could use to help other people, to heal other people, and that I could share that through my words. So now, whenever I visit this place, it's not like that first time. It's sort of grown as I've grown. And now it's a very, very like peaceful and sacred place where I go when I'm stuck or I need answers. 
If you want to see it, I guess it's sort of imagine the foot of a slow waterfall in the middle of a forest, surrounded by trees, wildlife, stillness, gentle light. And there's a jetty that I sort of arrive at and I walk down it and sit at the end of it and I overlook this this pool of calm water. And yeah, I, I wait for the mermaids to appear. So sometimes uh, when I come here, I get my answers. Sometimes we argue if I don't like what I hear, but sometimes the things you don't like to hear are the truest things that you need to hear. So I appreciate all of it because uh, at least if we can't face the difficult things in life, it really helps having it delivered to you by a mermaid in the middle of a forest. Gill. I live in Brisbane and sometimes on the Gold Coast, which is where I am right now. And for this year's Digital Writers Festival, I am involved in the Voices of the Trees project. And I'm reading at the QUT Literary Salon, presented in part with Digital Writers. This year has been both a transitional and transient one. I've spent a lot of time between cities, both overseas and here in Australia. I was finishing a manuscript, a book of poems, and thinking of this project, this audio postcard, I wanted to look back through my work to see which of these places, if any, were a constant. What I found was that, although my recent work spans cities and countries, again and again I returned to the water. My parents live on the Gold Coast, I in Brisbane, and lately I've been driving between the two a lot. I remember the first time I really noticed the Brisbane River. I had just come off the highway, crossed the bridge where the water opens up to the left and in the right light looks silver, and was coming over the slope to the first set of traffic lights on Coronation Drive. It was summer and it must have been around 4 or 5 p.m. because I had my windows down so I could smell that golden hour smell of wet plants mixed in with the salt kicked up from the tide. At the time, I was listening to this one Beethoven sonata on repeat, um, number eight in C minor. So that was playing as I came down and around the bend, the river suddenly stretching out ahead, going silver, blue, gold, the ferries powering away from the city beside me. I think poetry is about obsession, and the water, the river, and the sea is my current obsession my entry point to a poem, or the place I think of, or go to if I can, to work. Some of my most productive times have been when I lived in a house by the water. A few months ago I was in Bangkok, and the room I lived in was so much on the river that in the middle of the night the water would rise up and seep in through the floorboards. The room itself would move as the long-tailed boats knifed past. Sometimes I would wake at sunrise and open the curtains and watch the greenery float by on the chaparaya, some fishing boats going out and some coming home. I would write or edit until breakfast, which I took on the cramped balcony, the water so close I could dip in my feet. If I have learnt anything in the last year, it is that the way things change, and how quickly and totally they can change, is not something to be controlled. I try not to think too far ahead into the future. I'm learning to trust time, see change. Finding reliability in small things, say coffee and a pastry in the morning, working each day, 
a view of a river. Hey, Digital Writers Festival, it's really done. For the for the festival, I'll be reading a piece centered on the theme of manifesting the future, November third. I don't like to think about the collective future too much because I honestly think the world's going to end soon. So I'm sitting in Dawson's Mall at around 5.30. The sunset's really nice. I'm sitting across from the park and um, I'm in between the Westfield and uh, the Mount Druitt Library Hub. And there's some tiles on the ground that are patterned kind of brown and black. I I honestly think they put the tiles there so this place could kind of look a bit more classy and less struggle streety. Um, I can see graffiti that says Asian supermarket. Uh, Well, it's kind of an artwork actually. Mm, I can see Ed Husick's office. I can see the TAB. And on top of the library, there's a sign that says, Black Chan says no to violence. Do you? Men's Helpline, 1300-766-491. I've chosen Dawson's Mall because I've grown here. I've grown up here all my life. Um, and Mount Druitt's a pretty special place to me. Uh, I always walk down here with my best friend, Sana after getting off the bus and once there was a gang fight here between crazy little coconuts and Tongan mafia um, that my cousin Sekola was in. I have not talked to Sekola for a long time. The thing I love about Dawson Small is that it's still kind of green. There are a lot of trees and some trees I think are maple trees but I, I know that's not the actual tree. <laughs> Um, there's a bunch of my cousins, some maybe some ones, uh, having some fizzy drinks and some chips. I had originally written a story for this, but I think sitting here has a lot to offer. Just kind of sitting here and telling you what there is, because this is my home. And I know you asked something about if I was to give this space to you, uh, but honestly... Dawson's Wall, Mount Druitt, a place covered in 7-Eleven slushy juice and chewed up black gum and used ciggies. This place and those things are on the soles of my shoes and in the pores of my skin and I would never hand it over to anybody. And thanks for having me. My name is Misty McPhail and I'm a creative producer with the Digital Writers Festival. I'm a student researcher, a writer and filmmaker from Western Sydney. Today I'm here to tell you a little about my place and my story. I live right on the outer limits of Western Sydney. My suburb is the very last suburb you'll see before you go up the hill and into the Blue Mountains. I'm 55 kilometres from the centre of Sydney, but technically I'm still in it. I'm from Perth originally. I grew up going to the beach, so living this far from the coast has taken some getting used to. 
I can see the mountains from the end of my street and the white cockatoos always fly past at sunset when they relocate to the local grey gums down by the lake. I work in the city and I know how full it can be there, full of people, full of traffic, full of sounds. One of the things I like about here is how empty it seems, how quiet. When I'm writing for research, I'm in my office, which is upstairs and has a big window overlooking the tree in my front yard that blankets the lawn in red leaves once a year. When I'm working on a film project, it's more of a collaboration. We work in the edit suite downstairs, often at night, piled in on the blue couch with our laptops on our legs. When I write creatively, it's often the only quiet time I have to myself. Taking time to sit and think and mill over ideas is important to me. And most often, I'll take that outside. Where do I go when I'm looking for writing inspiration? I guess it would be my back porch. We have lots of couches in our house. People seem to know that we're always looking for more places to lounge, and so we get given a new couch probably once a year. We've accumulated quite a few now. Whenever we get a new one, we'll switch the new incoming couches with the older types, then relocate the ones we don't really need anymore out the back. The porch is kind of where they go to die. It's the last stop before they get put out on the verge for collection. So there's a mix of couches there now. The big black corner couch, the brown leather armchairs, the old two-seater that you sink into and can't get up from, all centred around a big wooden coffee table. I sit there with a pot of tea while I write, looking over the back hedge and across the rooftops and antennas towards the mountains. There are so many birds here. I've counted 17 species that visit our yard. They're noisy sometimes, and the little ones like to fly by and take turns diving into the pool, and then they sit on the fence and shake the water off their feathers. I like the way they dabble with my attention when I write, leading me into whimsy and contemplation. For me, writing is about connections, starting on an idea and seeing where it takes you, finding where it links to the other parts of your work and your life. Thinking takes time and stillness. And for me, I love meandering when writing just flows and feels where it needs to go next. But finding quiet time is rare. Amidst all the deadlines and daily duties, it's easy to be distracted by other words, the emails, the conversations, the news, the scheduled posts. The stillness sets my mind free to fill that space by myself. So if you find me here writing, contemplating on the porch, above all, I probably want you to just be quiet. Don't bring the words because otherwise I won't find mine. And sometimes they really do need to be found. Hi Future Perfect, I'm Samantha Glennie, one of the creative producer interns for Digital Writers Festival. I'm producing the events representation in fan fiction and digital tour fan fiction because I'm all about interactive narratives and fan culture. I can't wait to share these events with you guys. I live on the Sunshine Coast, and if you haven't heard of it, I can tell you that it's very appropriately named. It's a cluster of small towns connected by long, windy roads, and no one really seems to know where it begins or ends. In summer, most days are cloudless, blue skies, and as an extremely pale, half-British couch potato, every time I step outside, I basically catch fire. But it's a beautiful place. We have hidden beaches and scenic back roads that no one knows about. There's mountains with views looking over half the coastline, and waterfalls hidden amongst the trees. I've known people who let themselves get lost on these roads just to see what secrets they find. It's been my home for eight years now. I became the person I am today because of the people I met and grew up with here. 
And there's a place on the coast that's very special to me, that connects the people that I care about. It's called Moffat Beach, and it's one of the few beaches on the coast that has an end. All the other beaches fall into one another. Golden Beach, Diggy Beach, Karamundi Beach, and then Moffat Beach. It gets thinner and thinner until it disappears into a cliff face, surrounded by rocks at the bottom like a trap out of an Indiana Jones movie. One friend lived there, one friend worked there, and another friend had some of their best childhood memories in a kind of dangerous but awesome-looking playground set up around a gloriously huge tree. The best thing about it is the lookout midway up the cliff face. The worst are the birds at dusk. It's like nails on a chalkboard, but the nails have beady eyes and steal your food when you're not looking. I chose this place because, to me, being there is like looking through a photo book. Everything holds a memory. The most recent for me is a picnic on the lookout with my best friend. We brought camping chairs, chips and dip, a watermelon, and a tote bag full of books. We sat there reading until the sun went down, and when it was too dark to see, instead of packing up and going home, I took out my phone and came up with story ideas as my friend dozed off in the quiet. I mainly write science fiction, so staring up at the night sky, contemplating my own existence, is often when ideas happen for me. Big questions yield interesting answers, which make fun and challenging stories. And there's nowhere else in the world that makes me reflect on my experiences in this universe than this place. Moffat Beach is a place for everyone, and it's becoming more and more loved each day. Soon, it might lose the quietude that made me and my friends love it so much in the first place. It used to feel like it was a place that belonged just to us, but it doesn't, and it's all the more better for it. If I had any advice on how to best experience Moffat Beach, it would be to show up with a pen and paper and a guru coffee from the pocket. Lie on the grass at dusk, and when the screeching birds have turned in for the night, stare up at the sky. Listen to the crashing waves of the ocean. Wonder at the unknowable nature of the universe. And do the best thing you can do on the coast. Get lost and find your own secrets. Hello, I am Stephen Finch. I'm a creative producer, intern for the Digital Writers Festival in 2017. And I'm currently standing in the Vancouver Art Centre in Albany, WA. But the place I'd like to talk about is actually in Perth, WA, where I was based until a few months ago. Um, It's a place in the CBD, an artist-run initiative called Paper Mountain, um, where I had a, and still have, a studio. Um, I've been a studio resident there since 2011. I've seen hundreds of artists come and go as a studio residents, as people hiring the gallery, um, and it's been tremendously influential for my practice. It's expanded my horizons. It's where I've formed friendships. I was there at the start, you know, ripping up carpet and establishing studio spaces. Um, I've gotten drunk there many times, (laughs) alone with friends. So I'm going to walk you through it. So you get to Northbridge um, in the CBD, you walk up William Street and there's this kind of slightly hidden stair. To your left is the gallery um, and the gallery walls were built by us. Um, To your right is the common room Inside the common room, there is um, stairs 
um, going up to a tiny kind of cozy loft with a zine library. Underneath the loft is a vault. Currently it's where, you know, the important things are kept, the valuable artworks and stuff, but in the 80s it was actually a gambling den. And then if you go through that kind of common room space into the private studios, you'll find my studio. And I've shifted around a lot, but four months ago I shifted into the space of a dear friend who has now passed away. Her name is Kate Anna Williams. She was an incredible poet, incredible artist as well. She was such a... It's a cliche, but she, she definitely was. She was the like the loudest person in the room, the brightest person, the person who was there for you, you know? And she was there for me quite a few times. So in this space, she's written on the walls. She's, she's written, the atmosphere swallowed you and now you're everywhere. And she's written, just remember, keep breathing. And she's written, your lungs expanding. I like to think when she wrote that, you know, five years ago, that it was part of this same poem that she was feeling. I didn't realise that she'd written these things until after she'd left, because I think she got a bit embarrassed by it, and she covered it with this giant photo montage of Kirsten Stewart because she loved Kirsten Stewart and this big Katy Perry poster. And when I think about what uh, Paper Mountain has done for my practice, it's um, expanded it considerably. I didn't think that I would be here today working in an art center. It's so far removed from what I thought my career would be. I guess Kate Anna had this tattoo on her arm, and it just said, for the story. And she'd always say that. She'd always yell out for the story as she was doing something she knew was reckless and great. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. That was another fave of hers, which is, I don't know. These things are said a lot, but like that passion's important to keep, you know? From the Emerging Writers Festival, the Digital Writers Festival is back in 2017 and the program is live online now. Check it out at digitalwritersfestival.com and mark down the 24th of October till the 3rd of November in your diary to join the conversation. Our theme music is the magical Huntley's Please from their new EP, Songs in Your Name. You can find them on Facebook as Huntley Music. Thanks to Triple R Radio for giving us access to their studios. Community broadcasting is such an important space for emerging voices, and we're really grateful to be part of this community. 
This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge the First Nations, first storytellers and traditional owners of this land. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. If I could just go back